we'll just take a moment to pause again. I'll be again the Dharma talk, but I'd like to invite you as a way of beginning the Dharma talk to again sense what it means to arrive in presence. Just to come back here. In the Buddha's life, one of the archetypal themes was facing the shadow. As you hear the mythology and the stories, the unfolding theme was that instead of running away, in other words, instead of indulging in pleasure or instead of pushing life away with austerities, uh, the Buddha chose to come to rest under the Bodhi tree. So he paused, and this is exactly what we do each week here. We pause. We do it in our life anytime we just stop the thinking and go, oh, what's really happening? And I call it the sacred art of pausing. So the Buddha paused under the Bodhi tree, and that allowed him to really face life directly. And what he faced through the night of awakening, as many of you know, was the god Mara, the god of greed and hatred and delusion. And Mara, of course, is our shadow side. Mara is those forces within us that really keep us from knowing ourselves, keep us from loving freely, keep us from really living fully. Greed, hatred, and delusion. So, that night of his awakening he faced Mara and Mara backed away and the Buddha really saw the truth of who he was, that radiance, that emptiness, that love. But it wasn't a one-shot deal. Mara came back and it's kind of like happens to us that we sometimes have a catharsis or a major breakthrough or an insight and lo and behold the same insecurity or jealousy or way of acting out comes back and it happens, as we know, you know, even two and a half days with our family of origin and, you know, <laughs> Mara's back. Or we might have a metta meditation with this universal heart of um, including everyone and then watch the debate and find that we're very much partisan, you know. So Mara keeps showing up and in the Buddha's life this was true, that Mara would appear and what was interesting is that Ananda, the Buddha's faithful disciple, would see Mara and his reaction would be, what do you want? You know, he was kind of like, oh no, this is bad. But the Buddha said, no, no, Ananda. And he he basically said, I see you, Mara. And then he'd invite him to tea. Okay, he'd invite him to tea. So tonight's talk is about inviting Mara to tea. Because I think it's such a wonderful illustration of the whole path of awakening. It really is that when something difficult arises within us and as we'll explore also in our relationship with other, we can either react and say, oh no, this is bad, go away, fight, flight, you know, or we can say, oh, I see this, I see what's happening and then invite that experience to really be felt, be experienced with a kind and courageous heart. We can invite Mara to tea. And it feels especially important in these times that this is a really clear, alive principle for us. 
um, it is a very divided world. And I kind of was being playful about the debates, but I can say monitoring myself, it's just amazing to me how much I lock into the us-them, you know, and then have to say, okay, sit with this, sit with this. But it's very easy to make the other the enemy and to be contemptuous and disparaging and feel superior and for that to seem like strength even because in a patriarchal world the sign of power is to have power over, to put down. And yet, if we're really exploring an evolution of consciousness, our potential, rather than in some way making Mara the enemy, is truly to open our hearts and minds and see our connection and see what's here, to face it with a wise heart. And the truth is that any intelligent action comes out of that quality of presence of inviting Mara to tea. So I've talked about this in terms of radical acceptance, as many of you know, that it's, it's a courageous capacity, it's an engaged presence. Radical acceptance isn't this passive thing of step all over me, let me, let me be a doormat, it's this engaged presence. And it's a presence that's very kind. I did a day long with a number of people I see here actually uh, last weekend. And one young woman was very moved after we did a meditation. And the meditation was basically one of self-compassion, of feeling what was difficult, feeling Mara, and in some way offering kindness. And she said, you know, all my life I keep wanting kindness to come to me, I keep wanting others to treat me in a certain way and I've never in a visceral way felt that I was receiving it from my own heart. In other words, it it had been an abstract thing to befriend yourself, you know. But there wasn't like a real tender sense of, oh, okay, caring about this life, radical acceptance. So the starting place for many of us is not just that we're contemptuous or divided against other, but that we turn on ourselves. And I've mentioned here that unless we can really recognize how we're divided against our own inner life, the ways that we either ignore parts of ourselves or judge them, unless we really see it, it hijacks our awareness, it controls things. So I call it the trance of unworthiness because it puts us in trance. And let me ask, how many here feel like you do judge yourself too much? That that's just a... Okay, 99.999. (laughs) So we know that already. But what we're not always so aware of is how chronic it is and we're not aware of how that sense of not enough affects everything that goes on. It affects our spontaneity in social situations because in some way we're, instead of being who we are, we're trying to be who we think others want us to be. It affects our real capacity for intimacy. We don't really necessarily trust that we will be loved. 
I think it spurs on addictive behavior because there's this anxiety about failing and we try to soothe the anxiety with drugs and food and surfing the internet. You know, mostly if there's some sense of something's wrong, that I'm not okay, we can't really relax and enjoy the moment. There's not joy. And I feel like that's important because I meet so many people that at some level confess that they don't feel much joy. We can't feel joy if we've turned on ourselves. There's some angst in there. Many of you will remember, if you've been in Washington for a while, and some of you from Radical Acceptance, the story of the tiger Mohini. And when I heard about that, it really affected me. This is a regal white tiger that was in the D.C. National Zoo for years. And they kept her in this 10 by 12 cage. It was um, cement floor and so on. And Mohini would just pace back and forth. And so finally the zoologists and the um, vets and the naturalists said, you know, let's create a really beautiful place for her. So they create, they got acres and acres of, of a wilderness area kind of outside the city and um, created a park for her. And so it was with real excitement that they released Mohini into her new home. And what she did was immediately go to a corner of the compound and begin walking a 10 by 12 strip, just going back and forth, back and forth, until over time, and she did it for the rest of her life. It was just bare of grass. And I feel like that's a really powerful story because it's the same for us, that we, that we sense the possibility of freedom, of really living from a sense of wholeness, of being creative, of loving without holding back. You know, we sense that. And yet every day we get caught in our conditioning. Every day we end up kind of pacing restlessly, thinking, well, what I'm doing now, I should be doing something else and that I'm on my way to something else. We're pacing. Because we're not at home with our being. There's some sense of something is wrong. So the Buddha described this as the essence of our suffering, that we don't realize who we are. We don't realize the, the presence and the heart, the vastness of being that's really our essence. And this forgetting is where the suffering is. And it's pervasive in this culture. We're given messages about who we should be that stop us from resting in our wholeness and and have us continuously comparing ourselves against a standard. And every one of us got those standards, you know, some really distinctly from our parents and and all of us through the culture and schools and church and whatever, that in some way we should be smarter or more attractive or quicker or are funnier are in some way more productive but we all got messages so it's as if we have this internal monitor or I can speak for myself I have a this internal monitor that says so how am I doing now you know and and inevitably it's not quite the way I think I should be doing I'm not quite as relaxed or loving or present or spontaneous or real you know, there's a little bit of a forcedness or something. 
And it happens in spiritual life too, that we, we enter meditation with some idea of a good meditation. And we enter spiritual life with an idea of how we're supposed to be as spiritual humans, you know, how generous and open-hearted and non-reactive. And inevitably we move through feeling in some way we're not up to par. Some of you might remember, this is one of my favorite readings, it's, it's, since it's so much fun I'll share it again, it's called Spiritual Fitness. If you can start the day without caffeine or pep pills, if you can be cheerful ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, if you can understand when loved ones are too busy to give you time, if you can overlook when people take things out on you, when through no fault of yours something goes wrong, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can relax without liquor, if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, then you are probably a dog. (laughs) So that means Mara leaves dogs alone, right? (laughs) So here's the deal, that if we have a sense of being a self and, and we're all incarnated and we all have this perception of separation, if there's some sense of selfness, right in that same package is the need to protect. If there's a sense of self, then we develop the strategies to protect, to compensate, because if we feel like we're an unworthy self, then we need to find ways to make up for it. And one description of persona or personality is all the ways that we try to compensate for something missing or something wrong. It's kind of a negative slant on persona, but the persona is what we present. And we present to get approval to be okay. It happens in spiritual practice that sometimes the very patterns of how we're trying to compensate or prove ourselves actually become more visible. And I can say for myself that I, I was a striving kind of person before I got involved with spiritual life and I brought in that whole type A personality. I, re- I remember I lived in an ashram for about 10 or 12 years and we'd get up at 3.30 in the morning and do a very intense practice of yoga and meditation and prayer. And I tried to get up a little earlier so I, so I could fit in an extra meditation, you know. And I don't say this with pride. It was just, you know, I, I had some idea that if I really worked hard then in 10 or 12 years I could be enlightened. And I'd go to different spiritual teachers and I'd ask them, so what else can I do, you know, to, you know, wake up or whatever. And to a T, they would say to me, just relax. And I'd go, that's it, just relax. And that would become become my next, you know, project was just relax. (laughs) So what happens is that we all have these strategies, whether it's striving or retreating, resigning, blaming, whatever it is, and we we have a lot of them. I think self-blame is our biggest strategy to improve ourselves. But what happens is this is like the mask we wear, our striving, our protecting. 
And the suffering is that we become identified with the mask and we forget who's looking through it. We become identified with the striving self, the addicted self, you know, the blaming self, judging self. So we get identified with our strategies for making it through and we forget who we are. One of the best descriptions of this I heard, and I've shared with some of you um, this in the past, came from this ancient capital, Thailand, Sukhothai, where in the main hall there was this enormous clay Buddha and it was repainted and cared for over many centuries. And it wasn't the most handsome or beautiful Buddha, but people really loved it. They revered it for its staying power. You know, it had survived all these storms and invading armies and changes of government. But what happened was that, this happened about eight years ago, there was a dry season, a drought, and these cracks appeared. So some enterprising monk took a little pen flashlight and peered into the crack, and what shone back at him was the light of gold. So he peered into another crack, and again this light shone back. And as it turned out, because they, they took off the clay and plaster covering, it was the largest gold statue in Asia or in this part of Asia. And what the monks believed, and this is so interesting to me, is that this work of art had been covered with plaster and clay to protect it through difficult times. And that in the same way we cover over our innate purity. We cover it over as a way to protect ourselves in difficult situations. And then we forget. We forget that light that heart that's been covered over. So the pathway to remembering our innate goodness, the pathway to realizing that radiance, really is a practice of presence. It's this capacity to come right here, in this moment. And what that means is being present with Mara if we want to be able to see through the mask, through the plaster and clay, if we want to stop seeing ourselves as that presentation and really see who we are, there are these layers that open up and it's having tea with Mara that opens those layers up. What's unseen and unfelt keeps us in prison. It prevents us from opening to the gold. So there's two questions on this path of presence that helps us to, to really have tea with Mara. And one of them is what is really happening right now. And as I say them, just check it out, right this moment. So what is happening inside me right now? And then just pause. That's the first question. What is happening right now? And the second question is, can I be with this? Can I let this be? That's another way of saying it. And sense the presence that's possible. This is really seeing Mara and inviting Mara to tea. What's happening? Can I be with this?
To me, one of the most beautiful stories I know of inviting Mara to tea took place, oh, now it was probably ten years ago, and I shared it in Radical Acceptance because it had such a profound impact on me. And it was a man at this meditation retreat that I was leading uh, had come to the retreat and he was in the mid-stages of Alzheimer's. And he came with his wife so he'd have help finding his way around and getting to meals and so on. He was a clinical psychologist and he knew what was going on. He, he realized what was happening, was very aware of it. And interestingly, he, we did our, one of our individual interviews and he came into the interview and he was very upbeat. And in a way, here, here he was in this situation where he was definitely deteriorating and he knew it. So I asked him kind of what gives, you know, what's letting you hold this in this way? And his response to me was, I don't think that anything's wrong. He said, it's kind of like fall when the, the leaves come down in autumn but it's part of life, it's okay. And then he went on to tell me a story about earlier on, and the onset of the disease, where he had been asked to speak in front of a group of people, maybe a hundred people, and he had prepared what he was going to say, and he got there and everybody was silent, and he went completely blank. I mean, he had no idea of what he was going to say. Not only that, he didn't know who they were or what he was even doing there, okay? So let me tell you what he did. First, actually, he didn't do anything. He paused, just paused. And then he put his palms together and he began naming what he was aware of. For instance, he'd say, fear. And then he bowed, racing heart, bowed embarrassed, bowed, confused, bowed. So this kept happening. He was just naming what he was seeing and bowing to it until finally he started calming down, calming down, you know, bow. He ended up looking around and saying to the group, you know, I'm really sorry. And as you might imagine, they had tears in their eyes. And one of them said to him, you know, no one has ever shared the Dharma, the teachings this way with us. And what had he done? He paused. He didn't, you know how usually when Mara, when we encounter Mara, instead of pausing, we tumble into whatever, you know, we, we blame, we fight, we run, we do it our thing. He just paused. But that itself is radical. It's the beginning of radical acceptance. He paused. And then, I see you, Mara. He named what was happening, the fear, the shame, beating heart, confusion. He named it. And it's not just seeing Mara. He invited it to tea. He, he bowed. And the bow is like saying, um, I honor that this life is here. It's not like I love that it's here or that I want it to stay, but it's like this, it's here. It's a deep acceptance. So what stops us from really inviting Mara to tea? What stops us? 
You know, when I teach this, when I do workshops on radical acceptance, and I ask people to think of something that's really difficult that's going on inside them, you know, some pain, something that feels unforgivable or scary, some way they feel they've, that they can't accept themselves, and then we talk about, well, what would it mean to really name and bow to this? There's a big fear. And the fear is, if I invite Mardati, if I invite this anger or this jealousy or this shame and I really open to it, it'll get worse. I'll never get better. I'll never be the person I want to be, you know? So there's a sense that things will go really rapidly downhill. And there's actually this programming we have when something's difficult, fight or flight, accepting feels dangerous. And what's so interesting is that true acceptance is not a kind of resignation, it's not saying, okay, I'm an angry person, let it be that way, let my anger just trample over everybody. It's not like that. Acceptance, radical acceptance, is accepting the actuality of our experience in the present moment. It's not accepting an idea about it, it's not an evaluation of it. It's the courage to accept the actuality of what's happening. The psychologist Carl Rogers said, you know, and this is one of, I think, one of the great teachings, he said, the great paradox was, it wasn't until I accepted myself just as I was that I was free to change. In other words, this radical acceptance, this inviting Mara to tea is the precondition to awakening. I like the way one yoga teacher put it. She said, put your right arm over your left and hug yourself. And then she said, then put your left arm over your right and hug your evil twin. So, the invitation is to invite what's difficult with a lot of compassion, but I want to name when it's hardest. And that is when we feel that we've in some way done something that's unforgivable, where we've caused great injury. And it's very hard to sense that feeling of shame or self-blame and really be with it. We, instead, we just keep on playing the story of I'm bad. It's very hard to hug and embrace and be with that. I wanted to share with you um, a story of one woman and how she worked with that. This is an African-American woman that came to a month-long retreat I taught some years ago, Buddhist Vipassana retreat. And she was really getting caught in a lot of fear and sorrow and mostly shame about how she had hurt some people she loved. So we did an interview and we talked about how to really embrace and hold and be with what's difficult. And as many of you know that it come here regularly, one of the most powerful things we can do is to feel the pain, feel the hurt, feel the shame, and just put our own hand on our heart and just say, okay, I feel the suffering, I care about the suffering. And I sometimes share that Hawaiian healer that had that phrase, I'm sorry, 
and then I love you. So there's a sense of, I'm sorry this is happening, it's just a caring, and I love you. It's as I described last Saturday, it's very rare that we offer that kind of compassion. So for this woman, she came um, a few days after our interview, and she came in and she had this really bright smile. And um, I said, something happened. She goes, "Mm mm-hmm. And she said, I said, well, what? And she said, well, I went to church and we sang the gospel. And it was rich and it was beautiful. And so here's my mind trying to imagine it. This is a silent retreat. (laughs) And so I was trying to imagine her leaving this totally silent, secluded campus and going, driving into town and going to church and singing the gospel because it wasn't part of the normal retreat format. But, you know, I'm open-minded and I figured, okay, you know, something worked. And, you know, she had been really distraught in the interview before and felt really, really this very profound self-blame. So, um, you know follow the compass of your own heart. I said, great. So um, I invited her to tell me more. And she says, well, I was feeling that real grip of shame that I told you about. And so I went to church, and while I was at church, I prayed, I prayed, and then I wrapped Jesus like a shawl around me. And I felt that shawl, and the warmth of that shawl just melt open my heart. She said, peace just felled me. And she said, I haven't taken the shawl off. That love just keeps warming me up. So it was with an inner jolt that I realized she hadn't gone somewhere away to church. You know. <laughs> but I really had, I had been really going through this whole thing of she left campus, she went somewhere. But anyway, it, and then she described, she says, and I'm wearing this shawl while I walk those hills and while I sip my tea and standing in line at the shower and, and lunch. And then she gave me this mischievous look and said, yeah, the shower too. You know, I'm always wearing this shawl. And what had happened was she brought that shame and pain to a place that felt loving and wrapped love around her. And I share this because sometimes we can't forgive ourselves, but we can call on a loving energy that we might call Buddha or the Bodhisattva of compassion, our great spirit, Jesus, and invite that energy to hold us, to love us, to have mercy on us. And what happens when we really call on the love in this universe and wrap it like a shawl around us is that our heart does start melting and waking up and we discover that shawl is our own awakened heart. It seems like we're calling on something outside us when we take refuge but we're calling on our own enlightened awareness. I'm going to read you a poem. This is by Rashani, the poet Rashani. There is a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken, a shatteredness out of which blooms the unshatterable. There is a sorrow beyond all grief which leads to joy and a fragility out of whose depths emerges strength. There is a hollow space too vast for words through which we pass with each loss out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. There is a cry deeper than all sound whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside 
that is unbreakable and whole. So what we're really exploring is that there's a depth and a beauty to inviting Mara to tea. That when we're willing to stay and feel what's here and bring it love, whether we think of it as wrapping a shawl around us or putting our hand on our heart, but offering care to what's here, there is an awakening to a wholeness that is sacred and holy. So I'd like to do as we usually do here, is just get a taste of it, just do a little guided meditation as a taste of it. So this is your chance to kind of pause and let your attention come inward. And sense for yourself what helps you to really arrive right here in this moment. It might be that you take a few full breaths. It might be that you consciously relax parts of the body that habitually get tight. So the invitation is to sense where Mara might be in your life right now, some circumstance or situation that's difficult and that might bring up fear or anger or jealousy, hurt. This is a situation where you get reactive and take some moments to sense your habitual ways of reacting tomorrow, reacting to difficulty. So in this situation, just notice ways you might ignore what's going on inside you or ways you might direct blame ways you might sense that you're just living inside a complaint or feeling insulted, disappointed, offended. So just sense your attitude, the habitual attitude, so that there's mindfulness of the the pattern of reacting. Sometimes it's simply that attitude of wishing it wasn't happening or thinking this should not be happening. This is, in a sense, our way that our body and heart and mind says no to what's going on. Now take some moments to sense what's most difficult about this situation, 
what it is that's really distressing or disturbing. So you really can sense the energy of Mara, the shadow energy of where fear, wanting lives. What is it you're most afraid of? So that for these next few moments, as I described with the man who had Alzheimer's, you can simply notice what's here, whatever feelings come up, and in your own way, inviting Mara to tea, saying yes to what's happening, or bowing inwardly, letting be, Discover what happens if you just feel what comes up inside you, no matter what it is, no matter what it is, and in some cellular, energetic way, say yes. And if it helps you to put your hand on your heart so that you're offering a kind presence, that can sometimes make the yes possible. the hand on the heart's like a gesture that says, I'm here and I care about this life. sense your own experience of who you are when instead of fighting Mara there's an authentic presence, a kind presence with what's going on. In the poem by Dorothy Hunter, she says, in this choiceless, never-ending flow of life, there is an infinite array of choices. One alone brings happiness, to love what is. Now in our last few minutes of this kind of exploration of tea with Mara, I want to widen the field and say that a lot of time when we're having tea with Mara, it's what's coming up in us to do with how another person is behaving. So it's really how do we um, widen the circle to include other beings. And it's the exact same process that just as within ourselves, if we judge ourselves, if we fight ourselves, if we push ourselves out of our own heart, we just stay stuck in suffering, in that trance of unworthiness. 
in a similar way, if we're pushing others away and it doesn't matter who the other is, even an other that we really believe is not a good other, <laughs> the act of pushing away is an armoring of our heart. You can't selectively push away, there's just a tightness that comes. There's a tightness. I've used the phrase, vengeance is a lazy form of grief. When we're trying to get back at people, when we're blaming them and judging them, we can't really do our inner healing. It's a lazy form of grief. What has really um, touched me is Joko Beck, a Zen teacher, who says, our failure to experience joy is directly related to our inability to forgive. So we started the evening in the same way. We can't feel joy if we're turned on ourselves. We can't feel joy if we're not forgiving towards others. It's the same exact thing. And the process of inviting Mara to tea, the same thing. When we get riled up, when we feel down on somebody, angry, pushing them out of our hearts, pause. Take the time to pause. It's really the gift. It lets you come back home. Pause and then, what's happening? What's happening inside me? Just the way that men did with Alzheimer's. What's going on? Name it and open to it. One of the stories I like is of a a busy executive who was doing a mindfulness-based stress reduction course and he was learning about this, learning how to have tea with Mara. And he was, in the middle of the day, went to the grocery store because he had to get some groceries and he piled up his his, uh, cart. He got into the line, but the woman in front of him only had a few items. But it wasn't the express lane, but there she was with just a few items in front of him. And not only that, she had a little girl. And not only that, she was handing the little girl over to the clerk and they were ooing and aahing over her. And so this guy got really angry. So he was, this was Mara, he was angry and indignant and she's getting in my way, I'm a busy person, I'm an important person, I've got things to do and this woman, you know, etc, etc. And he went, okay, pause. (laughs) Paid attention inside and he started getting in touch with something that many of us know, which is when we're feeling busy and stressed, the obstacles feel like our whole life is going to crash and fail and burn because we're not going to get something done. So he was in touch with that kind of anxiety about failing. And he just stayed with it and he felt it and he breathed with it. And as he was present with it, some space opened up. He just got more kind. And so he looked, he looked at the little girl in the clerk's arms and he thought, she's kind of cute, you know? So when it was his turn, when the woman was gone, he said, you know, that little girl was really adorable. And the clerk beamed and she said, oh, thank you. Actually, that's my child, that was my mom, and my mother brings her over to visit me twice a day. My husband was killed in the war, so says my, my mom takes care of, the, of our little girl and I get to be with her twice a day while I'm working. And so what happened there, sometimes we can say, wow, well, you know, not everybody is facing such a calamity, not everybody's just lost somebody dear. But the reality is we all are facing loss all the time. And everybody we meet is struggling hard. Everybody we meet is dealing with the insecurities of a body that 
will get sick and die at some point and losing people we love and that life is pretty insecure. So what if we could move through the day and pause more and instead of just reacting tomorrow to whatever comes up, pause and see behind the mask and really see who's there, see the vulnerability of each human and see the golden Buddha. What if that's what we really intended, to be able to look at each other and see the golden Buddha? The Buddha's invitation, this path's invitation, is to learn this art of pausing, to learn this art of noticing what's right here and discover this power of really saying yes to what is in our heart, to really opening our hearts. So we'll close again just with a short meditation, if you will. And again, just feel your intention for the sacred pause. Notice what's going on right now. If there's tiredness, happiness, fear, irritation, peace, whatever it is, just sense the inner weather and explore what it means to really open your heart to whatever's happening. In the shared quiet, an invitation arises like a white dove lifting from a limb and taking flight. Come and live in truth. Take your place in the flow of grace. Draw aside the veil you thought would always separate your heart from love. All you ever longed for is before you in this moment if you dare draw in a breath and whisper yes. Just letting in this poem by Dana Faltz. If you dare draw in a breath and whisper yes, We close with loving-kindness, just sensing your prayer for this life that's right here, this life inside you. And 
including in your heart right now a loved one that might be able to use your healing energies and attention. And sensing the vulnerability of that person. Sensing the golden Buddha who's looking through those eyes, offering your prayer. And sensing this space of heart that's here, spreading out in all directions so that we can hold the earth, our mother, in our lap, hold all beings in our heart. May all beings be filled with loving-kindness, be held in loving-kindness. May all beings touch a great and natural peace. May there be peace on earth, May there be peace on earth. May there be peace on earth and everywhere. May all beings awaken and be free. Namaste. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.